Good afternoon, everybody. It is Tuesday, March... Is it the 14th? The 12th. 12th. Whatever. (laughs) Um, You are listening to Take to Take here on Spirit Live. My name is Nick Robinson, and as always, I am joined by Luke Burrows and Patrick Tallon, here to talk about the NHL and everything going on in the world of hockey. Uh, You know, a couple weeks post-trade deadline now, playoff picture starting to shape up a bit. We've got lots of news to get to. So uh, I think we're going to start off with obviously some of the big news. It's been a pretty heavy week in the NHL in terms of suspensions so far. Uh, Lots of news there. Patrick or Luke, did you guys want to start us off with that? Uh, I can start on that one. um, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really see the uh, Eichel or Voracek hits until the suspensions were announced because I didn't really have much to care about that. But um, after watching them... I'll start with the Voracek one. It, I, I'm okay with two games. Um, I sort of, sort of felt like he, uh, he just kind of unnecessarily backed into uh, Boychuk. Um, just, just not a necessary play at all. I, I didn't like that. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty okay with two games now. Where I have some issues is Eichel. Um, yeah, that, I, that one was pretty vicious. I think, Patrick and Nick, you probably saw my initial reaction to that. I, That's gross. That was... Soderberg comes in, and he's he hasn't reached the puck yet. Neither has Eichel, and Eichel just leans right into... Um, right into the, the head of Soderberg, who, who I'm sure he's aware he's there, but I don't, I don't think he was expecting any contact yet, and you can't blame him. Um... Two games for Eichel, I don't think that's enough. I would have liked to see at least four. I think that was just disgusting. I don't care. Um, I don't care what happened to Eichel earlier in the game. You you just you can't do that. And no. that it just looks it just looks terrible. I feel I feel for Soderberg. That's that's just not an okay thing to and do. And two games definitely is not enough at all. I think he should get three to four. No, Voracek one's a little bit different. Yeah. Um I thought, like you said, he unnecessarily backed into him. But the way the head snapped looked pretty ugly as well. Um, I know the league appealed it. I think I think two is fine for Voracek, although I do think three to four for Eichel, definitely. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. I, like Voracek, dirty hit. I don't really know what he was doing. Um, there there wasn't really any... I mean, sure... He, he lifted his elbow. I think keep, it looked... The, keep, I looked like the intent was there. But but why? Like, the actual hit, I get what happened there, but I mean, sure, keep Voracek out of the play, but that was just... Uh, that that was just a bit unnecessary for for what was happening. Um, I mean, the Eichel thing's a different story, but yeah, Voracek, I'm okay with too. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, did, Pat. Did you want to show it on the stream here? We can uh, we got videos yeah, of the hits sure. there. That we'll load those up. All right. So for those of you watching live with us here, we're just gonna pull up the hits here. Both pretty vicious. I mean, well, the initial hit was because of the Zadorov hit. Yeah, that's that sparked this entire thing. And the Zador, I, I mean, it was dirty, but it it wasn't it wasn't dangerous. I don't think it was just. So there's the initial hit. Yeah, on Eichel. Uh, that it's I don't know. His hands bridge high, but I I don't think there's a nasty nasty intent with that one. Obviously, but then yeah, that one's bad. He that, spins that right away. Bad. Yeah. And I don't think no supplementary discipline discipline for uh, Zadorov though, right? No, I don't think so. I don't believe no, so. Didn't go into that. But no, the the Eichel one for me is bad. But I I think part of the reason he doesn't have the book absolutely thrown at him, like say, if that hit comes from Tom Wilson, Tom Wilson's out for the rest of this year. But I think part of it is I, I don't I don't believe Jack Eichel has any uh, history of supplemental discipline. 
Is that right? Uh, yeah, no history. No, no history? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and I think part of the NHL, too, they like to protect their superstars in terms of those hit. But we have seen them, you know, be sort of uh, – ca- the NHL be sort of, like, eh, with their superstars throwing hits. Like, we saw Eric Carlson get suspended already this year. Well, yeah, Carlson, McDavid, Eichel. Like, yeah. I'm I'm all for it. If It doesn't matter who they yeah, are. Yeah, it, it should be treated absolutely like, uh, like always uh, – no matter who it is, like there it again, there it is, the hit on the head, and you see there there is clear intent there. I think from Eichel, like he knows the contact is going to be made, and he does make a reasonable attempt to uh, sort of lift the arm towards. And what Soderberg. what's the injury update on Soderberg? I don't believe there was one yet. Let me just uh, let me give it a quick search, but uh, I didn't hear anything, and they always like to factor that in too with regards to uh, how long a player is suspended. I, I don't, I'm not sure I really agree that should be a huge factor. I mean, I... It shouldn't be. A, I hit, sort a of, hit to the head is a hit to the head, yeah, right? It, not your concussed is relevant yeah. because, yeah, it's still a hit to the head. So I just, I, yeah, I, that Eichel hit, that's... The, the Voracek one is a little bit more interesting because the league appealed it. Um, yeah. The, the PA appealed it, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so, other news to suspensions. Did we want to talk about the incident last night in so yeah Toronto the, the Toronto Tampa, Tampa game? game. Um, there was a sequence where Morgan Riley was skating down ice, and apparently he, the ref might caught a mic'd up version of uh, Riley calling him a homophobic slur, um, and then that sparked a huge debate on Twitter. And then we saw the Flintor account. Um, they post a lot of Leafs media gifts, stuff like that. Did you want to pull that up? I can't sure. They yeah. did an entire thread on how he didn't say the word sorry with an F. He said ragged. Um and then it's just sparked this entire controversy on Twitter. We've been talking about it off air. Um I've never I know it's a term. I don't think it's one that's used constantly. Um it, it, and it should not be. Should not be used constantly at I'm all. I'm talking about well, it shouldn't be yeah, it's it's a it's a negative slur regardless. I'm talking about like ragged. How many people actually use that? Yeah, ragged. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, personally, I have throughout my hockey career, but that's just one I le- learned from my dad. I think that's more of like just a Southern Ontario thing. I'd never heard. I've never heard that. I'd never heard that until today, and I'd never heard it until uh, all my Leafs fan friends started telling me about it. I I'm sure it is a term. Like it, it clearly, some people are familiar with it, but um, I'd never heard it until now. Yes. And so essentially, they broke down this entire thread going over if or not. Who said what? Um, there were a few players that said different words, and then they actually switched it down. We have it mic'd up, and then they had it. Um, they changed the audio so it was slowed down a little bit. Even I think when it was normal speed, it sounds more like rag. Uh, slowed down, it sounds more like the other thing. So, I mean, I think um, I've also never seen so much in-depth analysis at something that a player did. I mean, it sucks, and no one wants to see their someone on their team do that. Yeah, but. And so obviously the 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 audio was captured. We're not sure where that was captured. Whether it was from a referee's mic, because some of the referees are mic'd up, and we're also not sure if it was from, let's say the uh, the boards, because there are uh, microphones in there as well. The NHL likes to continue. They're starting to do it more in terms of what they're actually miking up and stuff like that. But yeah, so we're not sure where that came from. Now I see the one the one argument I've seen, it's a fair point, and that being, why was Morgan Riley if 
this was directly at an official. Why was he not penalized on the play? And for me, yeah, that's a good point. When I hear that, I think we need we don't know the source of the audio for sure as people. I bet the NHL probably knows where that audio came from. Well, they're going to they're gonna, they're investigating it, so they'll yeah, they they'll, know, they'll talk to the official. We we will know. Um I I don't think I I don't think that's a plausible argument with uh, regards to why was he not assessed a penalty because well, um, I I think in terms of the penalty um I, obviously the ref has a lot going on unless he directly saw the words leave Riley's mouth I don't think I don't think he can and I mean I don't blame him can you really have the confidence to make that kind of call if if he were to make that call the NHL would then have to potentially backtrack on that and that would cause an even worse controversy for sure and it's also like a lot of things are said to refs and sometimes they're going to turn the shoulder sometimes they aren't yeah yeah and I, as you have to draw the line on what you can and cannot say you don't i don't think anyone should be saying that to a referee or at all in any league but they're going to have some leeway there and what they're going to allow to be yeah, said yeah, to you them you know how much not. crap is probably said on the ice constantly what yeah. was that video who, who on the flyers Konechny at the they mic'd him up at yeah. the uh at the outdoor game against pittsburgh and all, all the crap he was saying don't i you can sit here, and I, I you could make an argument that everything he said there is unsportsmanlike, but um, it, it, it's it's that kind of crap. It's just what yeah. hockey players do. It's what they've done for years. Yeah. Whether that's right or ethical or not, that's a debate. That's a whole separate debate. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really see how you could have automatically said, well, he wasn't assessed a penalty, so did he really say it? Yeah, and what sportsmanlike or not isn't limited to just this word. It should be anything in general. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it's a difficult line to draw. I, He doesn't seem like the kind of person who would say that. People are arguing maybe the heat of the moment. It got to him. He That blurted that's out. That's not a valid argument. Yeah, it's that, not, but that, I'm saying that's what people are arguing. Now, that's the next point I was going to bring up because, like the internet, one person does anything always. Everybody's going to start digging up old stuff. So I actually found this old, old tweet from Jonas Siegel, who does the uh, who does reporting for the Maple Leafs, and uh, this one is from February twentieth, twenty fifteen, and uh, the tweet says Morgan Riley today said positive approach, strong worth ethic during a tough time was key, and I quote, "You're not here to be a girl about it." So then people started piling on that, and that started making the rounds again after mm. the incident last night. Well, is Morgan Riley sexist too? And I like again, yeah. it that's a bit unfair. But then his other tweet resurfaced that was retweeted and just blew up. Happy Pride Day, everyone! That one kind of yeah, Happy came Pride back Day, Vancouver. And it's a similar thing that happened to Andrew Shaw in Chicago in 2016. He was suspended one playoff game and fined five thousand dollars. Yep, uh, for that slur, and now he's one of the representatives for the hockey's for everyone in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, it changes like now, it, I think the positive for me I guess out of all this is to see that the NHL is at least taking it seriously and I hope the investigation is done thoroughly uh, one good thing I saw uh, Platinum Seat Ghosts who's a good follow if you're a Toronto fan or a hockey fan in general on Twitter um, tweeted so he runs uh, money on the board for the Leafs uh, the, the Senators do one too I'm not sure if the Habs and Canucks do one probably do there's probably something similar but uh it, it's just placing like wages and stuff on certain events throughout a season and you donate you end up donating money and it goes to like the uh mlse foundation in this case and now he uh raised the point after last night uh the tweet from him says thinking the playoffs version of uh money on the board leafs maybe in support of you can play or something similar haven't deviated from the mlsc foundation to date but maybe it's time and then uh go back to the foundation next regular season. 
And so, I mean, at least there is some people are reacting positively. I'm not sure if that's like too extreme or in like too in light of what's going on exactly, but it's good to see that people are sort of uh, standing pat on this. Like my timeline was pretty positive in terms of absolutely no defense for using the slur and stuff like that, which is good to see because Mm -hmm. there is, uh, unfortunately, still seems like there is a large uh, amount of uh, sort of negativity around uh, the LGBTQ community, especially in hockey. It's getting better, but there is still that. Yeah, well, the hockeyist for everyone thing kind of changed, and every team has an ambassador now, which has kind of shifted that negative light away from from those stereotypes yeah. that we see reinforced often. So one thing I wanted to find was I know our uh, in one actually in one of our, our lectures because we're all here in the same program mm-hmm. at Ryerson on uh, on Friday, our professor uh, Curtis Maloli. Yeah, he uh, wait, I'm trying to find the stat he had about uh, gay athletes in the NHL, how many there were. Oh, how many, like, theoretically there, statistically there should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure there are, but does, like, things like last night and things with Andrew Shaw, does that, to me, it still proves that there is sort of this. It's it's the old school. It's the old school Straight white male, the way hockey is perceived, and I feel like that's going to affect the way people, they're going to feel discriminated against, they're going to be less inclined to come out, um, just the way hockey players are, the hockey culture the way it is, and you could argue if it's toxic or not, it's going to be harder for people who are gay to come out. And that's for an interesting sure. point because we don't really know if there are. Are there any open gay NHL players right now that we know I of in the NHL? I don't believe so. I know there are in both MLS and yeah. NBA. So, again, North American sports, there are guys. I Maybe in baseball as well. But uh, I, I think it does speak volumes that yeah, it does. there have yet to be any NHL players that have spoken out because, again, it's such... The ideal, what people think of like the typical or ideal hockey player is straight white, straight male, white male, strong mentally, strong physically. And the note that we learned about in class that if, you, if you're if you gay, you kind of, you veer away from those categories and how you are mentally and physically, which there's no truth to that. There, no, um, not at all. Which raises a good point. Yeah, so there is sort of that mentality, mentality still. It's good to see that the NHL is getting better. Like I know uh, New Jersey Devils forward Curtis Gabriel prospect there he's like playing his first year right now and uh he's been very outspoken lately with regards to uh issues in the lgbtq community and he's using the uh rainbow tape constantly and he's getting a lot of attention for that which is great and uh the nhl is starting to do more with regards to individual teams uh promoting the you can play campaign again also all great things um but perhaps they can do more because I still think they're sort of behind the ball yeah. in terms. Like it, it, it all goes back to changing, like you said, that uh, mentality around what makes an ideal athlete, an ideal hockey player. And the hardest thing is is who's going to be the first to come out, who's going to actually take that step. That's a very risky. It's a very. It is very risky. Um, it's a brave thing to do, and I'm not sure if we'll if we'll see that anytime soon. No, um, we're seeing an increase in awareness in in the LGBTQ community. Um, with the way, like you said, the rainbow tape and stuff like that. But uh, online now, there has never been any openly gay player in the NHL. Um, and this was published in July uh, 2018. Um, there are, in every other sport, that date back to Brendan Burke, a collegiate hockey manager who happened to be the son of an NHL coach, um, is still considered the closest, the closest out of any gay man that has ever been to the NHL. Is that Brian Burke's son? I pretty, sure, so. pretty, pretty sure it was, because I, I think uh, Brian Burke is very outspoken in terms of uh, being an ambassador for the LGBTQ yeah. community because his son was, yeah. which is great. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, so ho- hopefully we can begin to sort of see that mentality around athletes like that begin to disappear because I think it is an important discussion to always have. Uh, the fun thing for me, I remember uh, the Sens Call-Ups podcast, which is a good one to follow for Sens fans. Um, they did a Q&A with Amy Diesel, who's the Sens Chief Marketing Officer, and I tweeted in a question that they directly asked her, and uh, it was about the Senators and what their plans are for doing more with regards to uh, different groups I, other than like white males and stuff like that. So for LGBTQ people, for women, for just more inclusive groups, for Na- for uh, First Nations people. So uh, I did ask that, and they asked her, and they said the Senators were looking at doing more, but based on things like they're already doing this season, like when they have done, they have done a couple games. I think they did a, like a she in the rank game. Mm-hmm. But again, they were only promoting that the day before the game. Yeah, true. Which is, in, which is like, it's it's a weird way to go about it. Yeah. So hopefully we can see improvement there. All right. So uh, what did we want to move on to next? I think just sort of go on each of our teams. Um, the first one being, will Montreal make the playoffs? I'm assuming I'll have to take that one. I don't know. Uh, I th- I had hope when Columbus kind of they went one and three since all those moves and only having two picks or seven picks in the next two drafts. Um, as of right now, they're tied with Columbus. They're like they're tied one point out of a playoff spot. Columbus is playing Boston tonight, and I think that's an easy W. I hope for Boston and Montreal's playing Detroit, who last time they beat eight two. So there's hope. Um, and now it's at the point of the season where you it's hard to tell if you want. When they're this close, just tank, get a better, not tank, but lose, miss the playoffs, get a better pick, or make the playoffs. But the thing with Montreal is if they play any of the teams, with except for the Islanders, that they'll probably just be swept instantly. So it's tough to want. Luke and I were talking about this earlier. At this point, do you want your team to lose to get a better pick, or is it better just cheer for them to win just to experience playoff hockey? Or do both and then end up finishing 18th overall and right in that sweet spot of getting neither. I believe they call it the Minnesota Wild spot. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I don't think Montreal is going to make the playoffs. Um, Carolina used to be in the picture. I think they're um, sort of... Yeah, they're current I, matchup, I, I don't they're, want to they're say currently they're, matched up against the Islanders right now. I don't want to say Carolina is running away with it at all, but... Um, that is so ideal for they're, Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, Pittsburgh, I think, obviously, I've said it before, I don't think, think I don't see Pittsburgh missing the playoffs. And Columbus, they had a little bit of a rough start following the trade deadline, um, putting things together. But I think um, I think they're going to get there. I think they're starting to get there. I just I don't see a spot for Montreal in that picture. I think you just hate Montreal. Honestly. That too. That too. Actually, <laughs> that, I do. That's a big part of it. I do just not like that team. Yeah. No. Uh, Mo- Montreal's interesting for me because they 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 should be by all accounts like right in there. And yep. I, I feel like if they don't make the playoffs, it's a waste of a really good season because mm-hmm. they've completely exceeded expectations of i think both the media and their fan base for sure they were expected to be a bottom 10 team now nick and i um i believe it was hockey db on instagram ran a poll last friday asking who's exceeded expectations more the new york islanders and the montreal Canadiens. and i was sitting beside nick and i turned to him and said why is this even a question i think it's the islanders without a doubt without a doubt i mean sure montreal has done better than expected but there weren't really many expectations to start with whereas um the islanders are sitting second in their division and after you know losing who they lost following last year i think i i don't even know why those two teams were being compared to be honest but i think with montreal they were projected to be after the third overall pick 
Kokanami was labeled as two years away, and they yes, were expected to be a bottom. <laughs> they were expected to be a bottom ten team, and then they just kind of kept winning. Um, I don't see the thing with Montreal is there's no long term plan with this team. I don't see a long like I, they have future, but they don't have. They're not building in the right way where everyone's going to age <clears throat> relatively around the same age, if that makes sense. Yeah, like they're not all young. They're not young going forward together. And they, I mean, I think they're really there's bright right spots. Now. Domi was a bright spot, but he's exceeding expectations by far. If he falls back to earth next year, they're in trouble. He's also not a. He's playing center. He has uh, what, sixty points in sixty nine games. Nice, but I think, I think Very he mature. he's uh, yeah nice. His shooting percentage is, is off the charts, and he's going to eventually come back down to earth. And I think over time it would be useful for him to put him back on the wing. But the, in every possible way, they've just exceeded expectations, and this isn't the real Montreal Canadiens okay, team, so, in my view. So they've exceed, you're saying they've exceeded expectations, and I would agree to a point. You're also saying they don't have any real direction or long-term plan. I think No, I think is, their long-term plan is based around their is centers. That a, is that a problem? Do they need to reevaluate themselves now after this season went not how they were expecting to in a good way or do you think they need to stick with what they had going into this season and sort of not get their hopes up and continue with the with kind of a, a typical slower rebuild well i think they're what Ber- bergevin wouldn't admit to a rebuild he called it a, a retool on the fly which i'm not on board with at all um it sucks when your team tanks but i much would have rathered them as well as kokanami's playing have him a year in finland i would have flipped thomas tatar for a pick um, at the deadline, I would have flipped off some of the older guys, just to, just to kind of start lower, lower at the bottom. Yeah, uh, for me, I think Montreal, uh, if they continue down this path, you may just see them end up as the Minnesota Wild of the Eastern Conference, as in, end up in the playoffs each year. Yeah, I, but, I, yeah. I don't. I mean, where they are now, I could see Montreal sort of. Um, sort of getting to a point like that I think that's maybe where you end up when you don't have a long-term plan but you're doing better than expected um I just I don't think uh I I think for the next five years they're going to be a team that makes the playoffs maybe wins a round or misses the playoffs barely and get that middling pick for the next five years Minnesota Wild essentially yeah Yeah. until their younger guys are ready and then Price and Weber are older um and all those guys but I'm also a I try to be a realist. I don't think that they have this. I think they have future with the young talent they have in the system, the centers, and a couple defensemen. But I'm not head over heels with it for their future. I don't think it's going to be something amazing unless unless something changes in the off season. But I, I can't see it. So do you have anything to look forward to as a Montreal fan? Uh, Nick Suzuki and Ryan Paling. That's about it. He's not going to sign. I'm uh, not convinced moving... on Ryan Paling, but yeah, Luke. Over to you. Uh, moving on, we can talk about. Um, Let's let's start with Ottawa. Uh, oh God. Recently, I mean, they've been eliminated theoretically from the playoffs for yep. a long time now. But recently, they've been statistically eliminated from playoff contention, and they sit without their first round pick. Um, Nicholas, how are you feeling? How are you doing, buddy? Well, it's actually interesting because believe it or not, this is the first time since I started watching the Senators. Been watching since I was seven years old first time they've ever missed the playoffs in back-to-back seasons for me first time I, I saw that i was very i first was time they've i done was that. shocked by that yeah since 1995 1996 well, they're one of the more successful canadian teams in the postseason i would agree with that yeah they've uh but again can you really count success for canadian teams if nobody's won a freaking cup since 1994 
Three. Montreal, Montreal three. won the cup in 1993. Right. Montreal's won a cup? 24, actually. Anyways, yeah, uh, I think the Ottawa Senators, like, again, we can sit here and talk about what a dumpster fire that organization is and how sad it is pretty much just to sit there and think about how terrible everything is, how gloomy everything is. There has to be some hope. They have they have an abundance Again, of picks. They have good prospects. Uh, I've liked what I've seen from Philip Schlappick. That That's the one guy I really like prospect-wise. I think he can settle in as a fine middle six center. Uh, Logan Brown, Drake Batherson are playing really, really well in Belleville. That team's been on an absolute tear throughout 2019, and they actually are in a playoff spot right now in the AHL. It's the first time they've been in one all season. They recently had a 17-game point streak, the team, which was pretty impressive, and they're playing well. So I think there is hope for uh, some of these prospects. But again, I'm not sure how much you can expect for them because I assume like 90% of them will graduate to the NHL next year because we're going to need them to. But I'm not sure, again, how much hope I have for management building a decent team with them because of so many other things, all starting with the man upstairs, Eugene Melnick. Um, question, would you say uh, the Senators have hit rock bottom? And if so, is there a specific point um, that you would you would say that's happened at if they're on the upswing now? I mean, even if it's a very, very minimal upswing. I think, I think trading Eric Carlson was rock bottom. For me, that was rock bottom because I knew, I think everybody knew there was no recovery as soon as they did that. Um, and then coupled with trading Mark Stone, that's like almost digging under rock bottom and then diving into the void <laughs> at that point. Um, so essentially anything they can do now is a slight improvement, but I'm not sure what they're going to do with regards to season ticket holders next year attendance is already dwindling to like obscene levels that they've never had this is a team that had the third highest attendance in the league not 10 years ago when they were a competitive hockey team the location has something to do with that too right like it's location in, it's, it's for, in the it's in literally the middle of it. nowhere that's the worst possible exactly spot for a ring. so is anybody going to drive to canada ontario to go watch this team if you're in the city of ottawa why would you get money why would you get gas parking at that arena is just outrageous yeah it's brutal they're uh, they're giving away tickets practically, so there's no incentive for season seat holders to renew at this point. Um, but then again, they have another big decision coming up, and that's going to come this off season with uh, a coaching search because they're going to have to do one. I don't think Mark Crawford is a long term fix behind the bench. He's I, like I I don't see him as a guy that's going to take a rebuilding young team and lead them into the future. I just don't see it. Um, they, I they were actually rumored to have interest in Montreal's assistant coach, Dominic Ducharme. I'm not convinced of that one either. I'm not sure how much I would like them to hire a one-year assistant coach. Uh, he doesn't have much experience in pro hockey, right? The Montreal, Montreal just took him straight out of, uh, plucked him straight out of junior, right? Yeah. And the... Again, Dominic Ducharme could be a decent head coach in... I'd say five years because coaching is one thing you do need experience in. Well, um, he, he took the Mooseheads to the cup where they lost yep. in one game in the QMJHL, um, but he doesn't have as much University of Vermont. That's when he played, sorry. Um, but he's he's had some coaching experience, not really enough. But at this point, like P- Sense fans weren't really a big fan of Boucher. Only that year when they went on that run 
in and, seven and games there were with still underlying problems. Which is the it's it's play. the it's a carbon copy of what happened when he was in Tampa the first season. Yep. They went to Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Final against Boston next year. Hit hit rock bottom, mm-hmm. and then same thing with the Sens this year. Um, but I also feel like he's never had like a really really good roster to work with. Nick, just out of curiosity, what was your opinion on uh, running the one three one? Again, I thought that was a good short-term thing. It worked that first year, but again, like all tactics, you got to keep it fresh. you got to keep things changing like you do in anything in life because otherwise people are just going to start to figure it out, and I think that's really what happened. Um, I think also that one three one formation, um, I think uh, the defensive aspect of it is uh, exaggerated. I think it does rely on your goaltenders a lot, so... Craig Anderson and Mike Condon both had brilliant years in 2016-17. The Senators got great goaltending, and uh, it took them so far. So I'm not sure how much of that is based on Guy Boucher's 1-3-1 philosophy. Um, but it, and then he, even this year, when he tried to modify things and be based on speed and forechecking, you, you look what happened. The team played even worse. And it, it, sure, some of that has to do with the dwindling talent pool that was on this team. But again, there was not much change in the Senators' shot rates, and they were still being totally outplayed every night. So, uh, yeah, I don't see it. The one guy I find interesting as a coaching candidate is the Suns' AHL coach, Troy Mann, because um, he's proven down there this year that he's willing to give the younger players the ice time they need, for, both for development and to... Uh, because he knows that some of these uh, HL players are much, much more skilled than some of the grizzled veterans. So if he were to come up from the HL and come to the Senators behind the bench and sort of go with that same philosophy here, I would not be opposed to that at all. But again, I still think we need to tank next year because we need Alexi Lafreniere or another top end. We, we need a top end player. Vancouver? Vancouver um, yeah Vancouver I feel like Vancouver has been pretty quiet um, after dropping out of the playoff race um, I mean aside from Quinton Hughes who signed on Sunday um, he's looking to either make his start Wednesday or tomorrow I guess or whenever they play next Um Quinn Hughes, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna it's gonna make me want to watch the games again. Pedersen has, I've been saying Pedersen's so good. He's having his sophomore slump in his rookie year, so that's that's what's going on there. Yeah, um, I haven't heard much from him lately. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's okay. <laughs> um, Quinn, yeah, Quinn Hughes. I I think he'll. Uh, I think he'll. I like Quinn Hughes a lot. I I like Quinn Hughes a lot too, but I'm not gonna get too high on him. Um, He's he's gonna help. He's gonna obviously um, be a super important piece of the Canucks for the next few years, uh, hopefully. But um, I mean, at this point, I'm just looking forward to seeing him play. Not really counting on him too much. That's my opinion. So Vancouver is currently nine points out of a playoff spot, trailing Minnesota. I think Minnesota falls out. I think Arizona is going to catch them. Yeah, Arizona has been playing some tremendous hockey as of late, and I just rather see Arizona in there for a change. I'm really tired of Minnesota. Yeah, j- just don't talk about the game last night because uh they they got absolutely walloped by the chicago blackhawks last night that one wasn't particularly close um but yeah uh vancouver is still interesting for me because they do have a decent prospect pool decent 
it, it it's pretty good. It's pretty good. What outside? I of... mean, all teams, all fan bases, all teams think their prospects are better than they actually are. But that's true. J- think... Just out of curiosity, who outside of uh, Pedersen, Besser, and Hughes should I be excited about? Holly Ulevi. Come on. Holly Ulevi. That's a joke. Yeah. That's okay. a joke. I was about to say, really? Yeah. One year away, if Ulevi's not made any major progress in one year, I am officially labeling him on behalf of the fan base a bust. Yeah. So I saw a. Uh, really really funny thread well to me it was just hilarious last night on twitter um from uh i don't know if i can say this on air the the guy username who retweeted is uh at hockey dipshit um that that that's like literally what his name is he's a big canucks fan and uh i'm familiar with him yeah so he he always he he's pretty negative in terms but how how can you not be sometimes with the canucks like it's pretty hard for me as a sense fan to be positive and I'd feel pretty negative. Canucks uh, Twitter is incredibly self-deprecating. Yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> Canucks Twitter is worse than Leafs Twitter. No, that's hot such take. a lie. That hot is take. that is a hot take. hot take. That's the hottest take that's been on this show yet. I don't think it, it, maybe not Canucks Twitter. Maybe Canucks social media. They're vicious. Canucks Vancouver media or no, like like Vancouver fans on social media. They're very vicious. Look, the only Leafs. The attacks guy. on Jesperi Kokaniemi were just okay. unbelievable. Hey, every, but then they, atta- every team but then they attacked Dolan as well when he got traded. I don't know. I don't think every team does that. Canada as a Canada that. as a country did that following the World Juniors. I know, but I don't think every I don't think every single team does that. Every uh, team with a reasonably passionate fan base. So probably all the Canadian teams will do that. Um, the only Leafs Twitter guy I like is Kyle Cushman. That's about it. Give him a follow. What's his handle? Yeah, are we are we are we shouting him out right now on the show? Yeah, I don't. Uh, here, let me find his handle here. It's uh, Kyle underscore Cush C U S H. There you go, Kyle. Uh, I don't know if he's listening, but he's in class right now. Ah, but... okay, so he's not listening. We're we're gonna tell him after we give him a shout out. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Canucks do have interesting decisions to make with regards to who's on that roster, how many prospects are gonna be there. I think one guy they definitely have to keep. A hold of. I'm not sure what his contract situation is, uh, but he's having a really good year. Luke and I, you talk, you and I talked about this a lot on the weekend. Is Antoine Roussel? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there was an athletic article recently discussing some of the most underrated players in the league, um, and not necessarily based on point production. Antoine Roussel should absolutely be in that conversation. Yeah. Um, Vancouver made a lot of questionable free agent signings recently. Antoine Roussel is not one of them. Um, I. I absolutely love having that kind of player on the team. I think every player needs one. He's sort of uh, sliding into a Alex Burroughs role. I think a lot of people thought that's what Jake Vertanen would be. Um, he's not, so that's a little disappointing. Um, I've just looked it up. Uh, he's actually signed through 2021-2022 at $3 million a year, which is looking like a steal right now. Yeah. He uh, he just set a career high in points already yep. with 30. Don't look at someone like tim schaller though don't look at any of that yeah no we're not going to do that i promise um but he yeah he's playing very well the canucks are much more dominant in terms of their shot rates when he's been on the ice so he seems like a good player a good signing for jim benning but uh jim benning is still a disaster in my opinion but uh i think we are going to uh carry based on the talk about shot rates there into a little bit of a discussion about analytics 
So, so there if was... we want to give Curtis Malouli another sh- uh, another shout out for sure. Um, we talked in that class about traditionalists versus new rationalists. New rationalists being all about the stats, analytics, and we've seen the analytics community grow um, a lot, especially on hockey Twitter over the last few years, maybe last five years. It's become increasingly prominent. Um, traditionalists more about the rivals, the story, um, intangibles, and stuff like that. And we've talked about this off air. Um, where we stand. I know, Nick, you're very, very into analytics, probably about 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit more of a hybrid. I see value in both, and I feel like you can't... I think the main thing is too many people have the analytics community labeled as a certain way and the intangibles community labeled as a certain way. I don't think it does anyone any good by being strictly one thing. I think there's value in both in both sides. There's value to grit and intangibles and leadership, and there's also value to stats. The issue lies within is what's more valuable and by how much last night um at um at the rcc here at ryerson university we had zach Urbach come in to speak zach is the director of player evaluation and assistant to the gm of the mississauga steelheads in the ohl um he made a lot of very good points regarding analytics one of them which is very similar to what you just said patrick um the i mean the old versus the new, the, the two sides, he said, generally agree about everything most of the time, except for maybe a 10% piece, and that 10% gets magnified so much to a point where that's the entire discussion. So, um, I think the problem we see with the analytics community is I think, well, from the, from the intangibles community, we see them, they see analytics people as people who, who just love Corsi, and I think people, I think people also think the analytics are a lot more complicated than they actually are yeah some sure. of it isn't that complicated i think they get i think it's overwhelming looking at the graphs and i'll be honest well, some of them are hard to read for me and stuff me, like that let me contrast that by saying um zach Urbach also said the public only has access to a sliver of data that teams do yes. teams use analytics far more than the public thinks yeah. um and and anyone anyone who thinks some teams are solely running themselves on on one side or the other is is just false is i wrong. think there, ha- there there's some general managers i think who value grit and intangibles that can't be measured Peter a Ryan. lot more yeah mark bergevin a lot more than they would advance stats mark bergevin fired his um the analytics guy he did this entire presentation looked at zone entries zone exits all this stuff as to why you can't trade pk suban and he fired him after nashville picked him up so i think there are some i think at this point, I would say the majority of NHL teams, I would assume, value analytics a lot. I just think there are there's a minority of teams who don't at all, and they still have that old school mindset, like Nick said, Pierre Dorian, Mark Bergevin. Yeah, um, for me, uh, like you t- touched on earlier, traditionalist versus the new rationalist view. For me, I'm I would say I'm about ninety five percent into ninety uh, five new rationalism. I, the the five percent of me is the part that likes rivalries. I love when the Senators. I, I only get hyped up when the Senators are playing the Leafs, the Habs, uh, the Blackhawks, because everybody else in my family is a Blackhawks fan, and I get hyped up for that. That that 5% of me is the 5% that likes rivalries and gets attached to my players. The, 90, the 95% new rationalist view is I don't care about grit. I don't care about heart that players show. I don't care about any of that. I want 
a hockey team that wins games. I don't care if they have to cut bait with certain guys that have been there. I don't care that the Ottawa Senators have like six guys that are from Ottawa and they're living out their hometown. I don't care about that's that. That's true. I agree with that. That That's fair. I think the thing where people get, I think uh, the analytics community has sort of diminished hits a lot and think that hits are entirely just unimportant to the game. I think there has there has to be some value to being on a hockey team and someone lays a big hit and you get that extra boost going off the ice or going onto the ice but the thing is you can't measure it so you don't really know yeah you know you know gives players a boost yeah controlling the zone entry walking in and scoring a goal i'm not denying that <laughs> i'm not denying no i'm not denying that either that's the thing but that goes into something else we've talked about which is analytics i've gotten more into analytics over the past few years um in the wake of the pk suban trade you see you say that however I'm not because I'm I, I think there has to be value in both there has to, you have to be able to see two sides and the problem I see with both sides is that they value one thing more than the other or they only value one thing Corsi isn't the be-all end-all of all statistics neither but I don't, is, think, neither I don't is, think anybody's suggesting that no let me, but let but me add I think, last I think night there's a there's an idea that that the analytics community solely relies on Corsi I don't think it's true that's but, true. but I think we see that last night uh, Mr. Urbach said Corsi is very overrated in the analytics community. There are too many variables surrounding it uh, that you can't really narrow a stat like that down to something as important as people perceive it as. I, I, I'm just going to throw that out there. I, I still think I, I think the overrated aspect of it comes from again those casual hockey fans who are like oh I like I don't care they don't get it or they it's the only one they use. Yeah, I, think, I, I agree. I think I think Corsi is still a solid metric in terms of evaluating both individual and team play overall. I still see it as that. It's not my go-to. I've tended to rely on expected goal yeah, shares a lot this year or uh, like high danger Corsi, like different types, different more specifics, but uh, I still do see value. And in that's the thing. Corsi. I think it's important to be open to every possibility and every metric of evaluating a team or a player be it analytics or looking at stuff like hits or stuff like that. I don't think that's completely unreasonable or, or anything like that. Um, I think a lot of it stems from some of the graphs are overwhelming, but I think what's good is that we're seeing an in- increase in accessibility to these charts and to analytics. Um, a lot of people on Twitter, such as Manny Elk or Dom Lucician, I think if I said his name yeah. um, correctly. Um, and I think people just get overwhelmed with the way the numbers are presented with the percentages and all that stuff. Uh, it's not that complicated but it's also it doesn't do any harm in learning more about statistics and stuff like that yeah it's a good point um i think as they do become more like available i think they i think that's part of it right now analytics are primarily done by guys that are sole independent guys like a manny elk and this is what he does for part of his living and so he has to paywall most of his good stuff. Although Corsica is completely accessible to the public, um, there are guys like uh, the guy you I'm pay a fan for of. a subscription, right? Yeah, Hockey Viz, which is run by uh, Micah McCurdy, and uh, again, that that's based on his, this is his living. This is mm. part of what he does. So he has to paywall all the all the work he does, which I, which again paints another like scenario stereotype. You're gonna read into more what you can access and because people can't access hockey viz and i i've shared a lot of hockey viz with you guys and stuff like that it's all really really good work and mm-hmm. it's really easy to read sometimes and w- once you sort of uh see the explanation behind a lot of what uh he does sort of the graphics i think there is stuff to be learned and i think it yeah. is all good stuff it- that 
can contribute to a better understanding of what makes a player effective, what makes a hockey team effective, and what is important on the ice. Yeah, I think it it's always good to... I feel like a lot of the people who don't like analytics also just don't understand them or don't want to give an effort to learn them. For sure. Um, I think... I. I don't. I just don't understand how you can't, how you can not like, or not. You can, how can you believe. not like something you don't really know about? Well, sure, I agree with that, but um, I, ju- I just think analytics is another facet of the game that it's it's Scrum. there. I I just I don't I don't I don't understand how people can just say no and turn their heads and not yeah. pay attention to well, it. Well, from there you have to narrow down which stat you val- value and how you are going to evaluate a team or a player specifically. Um, I wouldn't go on NHL.com and look at goals as the sole stat. I would look at goals, Corsi, um, zone starts, defensive assignments, all that stuff. This is all stuff that's worthy of taking into consideration when evaluating certain players to get the most out of how you understand that player and the, the type of role they're in. Um, I don't think you should limit it to, to one or the other. Um, and I do think there is value in the eye test. There is value in watching the game and seeing an impact a player has. If there's a big hit in the playoffs... You can't really, I can see Nick right now. I, you, I don't know if you can like track momentum, but there's a total momentum shift after a fight or after a big hit. And I do think we played on the same hockey team. If there's a big hit or something like that, you're more inclined to g- give an extra boost as you go on the ice. Yeah, like there there are plenty of things in the game of hockey that you just can't track with numbers. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of things in the game of hockey you absolutely can track with numbers you can you can put numbers to something and you don't need to use your eyes to understand what's happening but then there's there's the other face of the game where you can only look with your eyes to see what's going on well, that's the misconception with analytics is everyone tweets at them and says well, why don't you just watch the game it's like okay well those stats are tracked if not by watching the game so it's not like they're not paying yeah attention. i i think people's eyes plays play a lot of tricks on them but i think I've more so inclined my viewing and shaped it around analytics to you. I look for more things now. I look for where players are on the ice. I look for what they do. I look for how much time they're spending in their zone. I look for that stuff. So I think the real value in the eye test comes from if you can eliminate some sort of bias around it and look for different aspects of the game as opposed to just watching where the puck is, who has it, where it is. I think... Um as long, I, I think what what maybe traditionalists don't understand about analytics is that when when you're looking at a number, people aren't saying this player's Corsi is fifty five percent, therefore he's good. Or people are saying um, he's good because his Corsi is fifty five percent. I think what I see what. That. <laughs> I, I think I think, it, <laughs> I think what happens more often um, is people say his Corsi is fifty five percent, and these are the reasons why I believe this makes him a good player. I just I think you can't make that, them go hand in hand. So yeah, much. I think that depends on your role, but I also. But think, thanks, Nick. The, you know. the, the other part for me, I, I like I, I and I wish a lot of people, more people knew it. A, a Corsi number for a player doesn't mean anything if you don't compare it to what their teams is. Well, isn't that? Relative. Yeah, that's relative, Corsi. Yeah, okay. Anyways, conversation for a different day, but we're actually going to wrap up the show going back to what we started with. A uh, little bit of breaking news from Luke here on well, Morgan Riley and the use of the or the alleged use of the homophobic slur in last night's game versus Tampa Bay. So nudge to us. Um, uh, it's on Twitter here from uh, a statement from the uh, senior EVP of hockey operations, Colin Campbell, uh, following an investigation through the National Hockey League. Um, has determined that Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman Morgan Riley did not direct a homophobic slur 
um, at referee Brad Meyer during last night's game. League officials interviewed several of the participants in the game, including Riley and Meyer, and reviewed audio of the alleged incident. All of those interviewed adamantly denied that Riley uttered a slur and the audio supported their statements. Okay, there we go. So there it is. Um, Your thoughts on that? Um, Was it wrong of pretty much 90% of people, I'll throw myself in there included, to sort of jump to the conclusion that he did it. It's, yeah. it's ho- No, it's that's hockey Twitter. It's going to happen. And I think looking at the video or listening to the video, it's, it really sounded like he said it. It wasn't until the Flintor um, put up that entire thread, uh, slowing down the footage, having the subtitles where you could kind of see or hear what it sounded like. Um, but I think that just goes to show what what hockey Twitter is like, and I think I—I'll admit I jumped on it. I thought yeah, he, I thought he said it, it. it really does, sounded like it he does did. sound like it. So you, I feel like you can't really, you can't really blame. Um, we'll wait and see people for entertaining the idea. I mean, you can probably blame people for just just running with it and maybe yeah. taking it a bit too far. Um, I I just think maybe both both the Maple Leafs fan base and maybe everyone else. Um, got divided far too quickly. Yeah, and uh, just one more point I found here that I think is really good. Um, from Ian McLaren, he says, uh, please note, this does not justify the use of homophobic language, nor does it deny its rampant presence in hockey. Hope they gave it an honest look and it leads to change. You're not a hero if you didn't believe it to be true or wrong for assuming the worst, which is a great point, a I think. a fantastic tweet. He's a solid follow yeah really really solid follow i wish he did more hockey writing yeah. like he used to do but obviously if you're a fan of his you understand his reasons and stuff yeah, like that. yeah yeah the he's been through the, quite a lot yeah he has yeah yeah so i think uh i think that pretty much covers today's episode i think we did a lot of great topics especially uh our debate little hot take share on analytics yeah. and uh the lgbtq community in hockey uh, thank you for listening to Take to Take here on Spirit Live. We will be back at the same time next week. Uh, enjoy your week, everybody.